Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at IndivisibleRadio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag IndivisibleRadio or leave us a voicemail at IndivisibleRadio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and I'm bringing you the finale of Indivisible from WNYC and Minnesota Public Radio. On Thursdays, I've listened to what you've said about American identity, who you are, and what's important to you. I can't even bring up the fact that I remotely support Trump because of the hostility that comes my way. I'm not going to be ashamed of being a Democrat. I'm a trucker. I am educated. I'm a trucker. I'm a veteran. And I voted for Trump. Those of us who were not in support of Trump have to remain quiet because they'll assume we're heretics. They'll assume we're abortion-loving, left-leaning, crazy people. I'm pro-environment. I'm uh, I'm pro-Medicaid and food stamps. My kids are all on Medicaid. I have been on food stamps in the past. I'm pro-immigration, but I'm also pro-life. I think we're at this point where both parties really need to focus on what what is it going to take to captivate those of us in the millennial generation and what changes need to be made. So that's what it sounded like over the last 14 weeks. Tonight, I want to hear from you on what we've learned about one another in the midst of so much political divisiveness. And and I'm going to go first here. Here's what I've learned. The best moments of these indivisible conversations were not about politics. Far from it. They were about hearing how your life experience and your connection to the place you live and your family or your faith or your ideals shape how you see yourself as part of an American community. I mean, that's far beyond politics, and that has been really meaningful. There's something quite powerful about being in conversation with one another in real time across all of our differences. And I'd say we're lower middle class. Um, My husband and I, we have three kids. We live probably on about $80,000 a year. We have a house. We drive used cars. I shop at Goodwill. I'm a bargain shopper. So I actually work in a steel mill, the largest steel mill in the country, and I've been there 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And the problem is with modernization and globalization, the steel industry has changed. And what that means is there's less of those high-paying jobs. And they say get training or learn how to write code as if everyone has the aptitude to do that. Not everyone can actually learn those tech jobs. And that's what you've had to say on Indivisible. As our guest joins us tonight, I'd like to hear from you on this. 100 days into this new administration, what do we now know about each other? Not so much about the administration. What do we know about each other? How can we use that knowledge to be more vibrantly engaged with one another? That's the whole idea of this show, and that's what I really want to focus on tonight on Indivisible. 844-745-745. T-A-L-K Talk. It's 844-745-8255. And you can talk to me about this on Twitter, at Carrie NPR. Use the hashtag 
Indivisible Radio. We've asked our guest from our very first show to return and to reflect on what he's heard and learned. Jose Santos is an anthropologist at Metro State University in St. Paul, and he's back with me in the studio. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm I can't really believe it's been 14 this. weeks. It's it's nearly been 100 days of the presidency. I understand you went back and you've listened to a lot of the conversations. I, I did. That we've I've had. been listening to it actually because. Uh, because I knew I was going to come back. Um, I, I listened to them when they were on originally, but uh, over the past week I've been listening to the podcasts. Um, and, and I was stunned, I think, first of all, by the breadth, right? I mean, we're hearing from everybody, right. everybody from all over, and, and I think that's that's so good. And people on every extreme side, people that are pro-Trump, anti-Trump, um, and I think the, the thing is, is that there's this sort of commonality amongst them, and, and I hate to say it because it's negative, but there's this commonality of fear, Right. There's this commonality of, of, of tension and this commonality of, of feeling like um, people people feel like they're not being understood and not being Kind heard. of like if I show myself for who I really am, I'm going to be judged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like people feel like uh, that their identities are hidden, so they want to not hide their identities. So they want to uh, – th- there's – there's a lot of tension in people. And I think it, how ironic is it that that's the thing that's bringing us together, right? Like I know, that's the I thing know. that we all have in common. I mean, Jose, do you also know what I mean when I say the most powerful moments were nothing about politics Not in all. these conversations? I, 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 it, it wasn't about politics. I think in, in some ways when I think of – when I'm when my most cynical, I think what happens is we take – the really precious things. And for me, what was precious is people really opening up about this is what's going on in my life. Right. Right. Like when I talk about that fear, people are scared. I mean, when you did that show, that was, was it just last week on, um, you know, when a plant leaves right. a town. That was last week. Or, or when a factory leaves and your life is torn to pieces. And to hear that story, it's, it's somebody sharing something that is so painful, but that's precious, right? That's a precious gift when people open up like that. And, and the, the cynic in me is like, I hate that that gets politicized. I hate that that becomes a political tool for the the politicians, the Congress people, the Senate um, to get bogged down with as they're unable to pass this thing or the other. Right. Um, and that's so that's the hurt talking. But but uh, it's it's real because I think there, there are these beautiful things that people are are going forward with and showing up and holding up in front of their politicians eyes. And I don't know if those things are being appreciated. I think it's only right that we hear from somebody right here in St. Paul first, okay? Yeah. To Casey, uh, listening in St. Paul. Hey, Casey, thank you so much for tuning in tonight, and and I'm really glad you called. Hey, Carrie, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What are you thinking about? Um, I'm thinking about the the best thing that I've learned in the first 100 days has actually come from this program. Wow. Is that when you look at the news, whether whichever side you're on, you see all these extremes, the very far left, the very far right. And I've learned or more reinforced from listening to this station that people are calling in and they're real, they're more eclectic. There's a lot more moderation. It's, it doesn't seem so hopeless as it feels when you're just listening to the actual news that gets put out. Well, that, that's really powerful for me. More moderation, more thought. More commonality, yeah. K- as you said. Casey, are you still there? Exactly. Okay, yeah, so I'm still here. You said something that to me really, really, it kind of struck a chord with me, and, and I think it might be something for other people. You said, um, you compared it to, it doesn't feel as hopeless as kind of watching the news. Could, could, you, could you just make it clear for people what you mean? When you're watching the news, what is it you see and feel that makes you feel hopeless? When I watch the news, it's so black and white. It's so, 
you're either with this idea or you're against it. You're either with the Republicans or you're not. You're the Democrat or not. There's no middle ground. There's no acceptance of other people's ideas. And I've been listening for the last 100 days to people calling in who voted for Trump. And I'm definitely not a Trump voter, but I can see common ground between them. It helped me understand more about other people than just listening to the pundits, trying to get more views, trying to be more um, entertaining or extreme to get more traffic. Casey, have you ever thought of running for office? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. That, that, with the, that, that, that idea, you, there's, it's black or it's white. You're either with us or against us. It, it's, it's distressing. It's, it's a false dichotomy. It's a false choice. Um, and I just, I, I hope, I'm just so glad you said that. And you, and you said it in front of everybody, so I'm, I'm feeling good. Uh, Casey, thanks so much for the call. Let's hear from Josh in North Dakota Josh, um, I hope you've been listening to the show. What have you learned about the community around you, who we are as Americans in the last 100 days? Yeah, I've been listening as much as I can. And one of the things that I really learned since the election started and in the last 100 days is that we all picked a candidate for different reasons. Right. And that we have to respect those different reasons. And one of the things that's underneath that that have really taken to heart is that a lot of people who voted differently than I did did so because they want to solve the same problems that I want to solve, Mm -hmm. but they want to take a different approach to do it, or they use different values to solve the same problem. And I've just really learned to respect and and hope they respect that about me, that we're just trying to solve the same things, but we're going about it a different way. Right. And you may not agree with the way that somebody else wants to go about it, but you trust the need and commitment to solving some of those problems, right? That's one of the things I, I've picked Yeah, up. exactly. Exactly. In some ways, it's been almost comical as I share these conversations and build community with other people who would be on the other side of the divide to recognize that. And it's actually been, been helpful and increased my respect. What, what are some of the reasons that you've heard? So you said, you know, you have your reasons for your voting, and you said other people have their reasons. What are some of the reasons that you've heard that, that you didn't realize before that, that you could respect um, that you might not have thought that you could sure. respect before? Well, the two biggest ones were, I think, that come to mind are, are the, uh, the justice, the chief justice, uh, the value that people placed on that. And even though I disagreed with them, I thought it was wonderful that they placed such a value on that appointment. And the second one is abortion. Um, I think we all want to live in a place where abortion isn't a factor, but uh, some people want to go about it by legislating against it, um, which would be more of a Republican ticket, and others want to go about it in a way that offers opportunity for people to not have to make such a hard decision, which is oftentimes more of a Democratic approach or Democratic Party approach. All right. Right. And to see that we're all aiming to not put people in a situation where they may have to choose abortion uh, is fascinating that we all want to go for that, but two very different ways about solving that problem. You know, Josh, thank you so much for the call. You know what I'm thinking, Jose, as I listen to that is, I think it, it's it's perhaps a humanistic, you're an anthropologist, you would know this, tendency to apply kind of bad intent and malevolence if somebody disagrees with you, or at least this is the place that we've come to. I think that's it's it's a place that you come to very easily when you don't think of somebody as a member of your group. That's right. When when everybody's a member of your group, yeah, you know, there's infighting, there's this, that, and the other, but there's there's this underlying level of trust, right? There's this common identity. 
And I think we live in a place, I mean, the whole show has been about identity. And, and what have we seen? People have so many different identities. They don't identify with the same things. And so it's very easy to be suspicious. And you just assume malintent. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a common thing for the brain to do. Uh, but it's also something, I mean, we can unlearn that. We know, how to, we know how to get around that, but we have to stop ourselves. I mean, like, listen, you have listen to, to what, want to unlearn yeah, listen to what too, Josh right? just said. I mean, abortion right. is the one thing that divides people more than anything. And he's in a state where that's a high-profile issue, too, yeah, in North Dakota. And here he is capable of seeing every right. side. Caleb says on Twitter, yes, caller, I think he's talking to Casey, this program has been a site of hope where we can express and discuss without attacking. And Dorian says on Twitter, I've learned how much pain was left in so much of the United States, despite economic recovery that helped many around me. Jose, I, I wanted to bring up something that you said. It was this was something that you talked about through that first show. But at the very end, as you were talking about how things are sacred to uh, people, and, and maybe I should ask you to define that again, what, what we mean when we hold something sacred. Yeah, when we, when we call something sacred. So it's an idea. It's. I'm trying to simplify an idea that comes from this this old French guy named Emile Durkheim, but I think it's 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 he just gave it a a name, uh, but it's something we can all understand. So sacred isn't he used it when he's talking about religion, but it doesn't necessarily mean religion. And the idea is that there are some things that are just set apart, right, um, from everyday experience, and that is actually what is sacred. So it doesn't need to be religious. But if you have something, hey hey hey, you know, you don't talk about such and such topics when you're in front of grandma. That's that's sacred. It's off limits. Or you know what? You can talk about anything. You can joke about anything, but you can't joke about my kids. Right? Then it's the kids that are sacred. So that we all have these things. And usually what defines a culture is that there's some agreement on what's sacred. Uh-huh. And we don't necessarily have that and anymore. And we're in a place where we're not even agreeing on that. No, no, we're not. Um, on a lot of things. But I, I believe that, that there are some fundamental things right, that, that we probably do agree on. Um, but that these other things are, are pretty important, too. Right. And I think sort of a lot of the divisions on Trump, for example, he was saying stuff that really intruded on things that for people were sacred. Right. Things about women, things about immigrants, right, about people's identities. Um, and so people were just turned off by that. It's like, no, I can't. Um, and then Hillary would do, do things that people were like, I can't. It's just because of who I am. I cannot vote for that person. And so it was intruding on the sacred. Uh, At the end of the first show, we got a call from a young woman whose husband was an undocumented person in the United States. And you got into a conversation with her about what is sacred. So I wanted to play a little bit of that. Let's listen. So that people know who you are, a little bit about you. What is sacred to you? I think that what is sacred to me is family. My family is sacred to me. My husband is a part of me. I am a U.S. citizen and he is undocumented and I chose to love him. I didn't know he was who he was initially, but I believe that I knew that who he was as a person, and that was important to me. And uh, for me, my family is sacred. I have to say, after that discussion, I I kind of I had the guidepost for what this show could be after hearing that. <laughs> really? I mean, really, it was that <laughs> meaningful to to be able to define this, and I think have people feel like they could really relate to that. Absolutely. What what I like about getting people to open up, um, and and it's my fundamental belief, is that people want to share these things, Mm -hmm. right? You know, what's important to me? Um, They just feel like they can't a lot of time or that they're not supposed to. When you do that, so say, you know, know, she's talking about the immigration debate from a political point of view. She's talking about immigration. Um, But from a very real point of view that we can all relate to, she's talking about, in the end, what I'm fighting for is my family. Right. 
right? And so we can talk about immigration this, we can talk about but the laws this or change the laws that or that this or that or the other. But I think once we see that humanness in her, uh, we can recognize two things. One, she's not going to stop. She will continue because it's not just about some law, right? Um, two, how is that so different from me? Right? When, when have I not had something in my life and been able to see it is so important, I have no choice but to go up and do what I think is right. This is why framing these conversations as political conversations really just doesn't get at what this is about. Uh, ironically, yes, the, the, often the, the process of governing human beings um, doesn't really take human beings into account. That's, right. that's one of the problems of politics. I want to get Jeff in North Carolina in here. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much for waiting. Hi, how are you? Doing good. What, what have you learned? Amazing. I'm glad I you've really listened. really appreciate what you've done. Thank you. Um, I, what I've learned from this is I, I, it's not so much learned as, as validated what I believed before, which is that the people of this country, the masses of people, the regular people, we have so much more in common with one another than separate from one another, but we've allowed this this political and media machinery to drive us apart on these polarized issues and this this fear-based baiting of people. And we're not dealing with what's best for us or for the people like us because we're too busy arguing about things that have been put out in front of us as things we should argue about. Mm -hmm. And it's just really frustrating to know that Yes, we are so much alike. I've heard people time and time again on this show. But at the end of the day, these people buy into and believe the nonsense that's peddled at them, and they get upset about it, and they blame people for it. And I don't know that, I don't know that the awareness that we're a lot alike is going to change anything until we actually start to act that way. That's one thing I've learned. The other thing that I've learned from this whole experience of the last year is that it's really sad that fear-mongering still, still has the strength that it's had throughout history and that we haven't learned time and time again the fear of the other doesn't get us anywhere but a bad place. Jeff, I'm, I'm really glad you've caught the shows. Really appreciate that. You're listening to Indivisible. It's the finale of Indivisible from WNYC and Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Carrie Miller. And tonight we're talking about what we've learned about one another over the last 100 days. Not about the politics of this, although, of course, that's a factor in our conversation. But I want to hear from you about what you've learned about the people in your community who may believe different things than you do. Talk to me about it tonight. 844-745-8255. Be persistent. Yes, the phone lines are busy. Reach me on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use that hashtag Indivisible Radio. We'll hear from as many of you as we possibly can. Stay with us. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible.
You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Indivisible tonight from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're talking about what we've learned about one another in the first 100 days of the Trump administration. Dolan says on Twitter, over the past 100 days, I've learned dialogue with the opposite party must come from a place of respect. And Aaron says, my 100 days takeaway, I'm deeply worried by the sharp and many divisions between us. I will miss indivisible radio profoundly. Jose, I wanted to come back to you on what our last caller said about the this framing of the debate within the political arena. And again, we heard about how the media frames this. Right. So if you want to, if you feel firmly that there is a better debate to have than the one that is being had in the political arena and is being had by much of the media, how do you do that? Uh, well, two things. First, the, the the political debate is important. I think what's happened is that it's it's co-opted our fears and it's co-opted um, our identities and so on um, and manipulated them. So the politics stuff does need to get figured out. We do. We need to figure out how do we run this country, and make decisions. But I think in order to get around this fear and stuff, we we need to relate to each other. Uh, I really do believe one of our fundamental problems is is we don't know much about each other. We don't know a lot about um, sometimes people just the next neighborhood over. Sometimes people live next door. I mean, uh, you know, a, a kind of thought exercise I do in class is, OK, I want you to describe your workplace and, and, you know, what it's like to do your job or whatever. Now, try to describe somebody else's. Do you really know about somebody else's life that well? Right. right? Do you have that kind of, of information about them? And I don't know that we can do that. I think we're in a um, – you know, you had a show not too long ago about, you know um, – you know, the, the the rural areas and uh, the urban areas, right. they don't know about each other. Right. And not, not only do they not know about each other, they mistrust one another. And they think, oh, well, the country's going in their direction too far, or my, or my direction too far, whatever. And so I think a lot of it is, is you know, if I could get people to just go meet somebody new, <laughs> go meet somebody who, who, who you would not have otherwise met. And that's really hard to do. In a lot of cases, right? Go get your haircut by somebody else. Um, go to a different store. Right. Um, turn on a different station on the radio. Uh, I, I think that's a way of tr- trying to learn um, just different ways of getting along with the people that you share the country with. Now, that's a little too idyllic for a lot of people, but I think it's a first step. I think we have a barber on the line since oh, you really? said go get your hair cut to uh, to Bo in Cincinnati. Is that right? Are you a barber, Bo? <laughs> yes. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Glad you called. Uh, how's the haircutting business these days? Talking politics or no? Oh, every day, every day. <laughs> okay. So what are you thinking about tonight? Uh, well, I've been listening to the show since you guys first started. Uh, almost every single day on my way home, I love the show. Uh-huh. And I really have been thinking about a lot of what I've been learning, uh, not only in the past 100 days, but since this whole election cycle has been going on. And what I've really learned is a lot of us really do want the same thing. We all want more affordable um, health care. We want 
more affordable housing. We want more jobs and more jobs in America. However, the thing I've noticed is the biggest division is how we go about that and what people are willing to sacrifice and what people are not willing to sacrifice. Um, it's something I've really discovered with kind of boggles my mind is I, I, I'm from Los Angeles and I moved to Cincinnati and it was kind of a culture shock. And when I got here, I realized how much of a bubble I was in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm actually really grateful that I'm here now because I really see the world in, outside of the bubble. And I see the fact that everybody wants, uh, you know, basically to live a good life, but we need to work together so we don't have to sacrifice the, the important things in life. Just because, you know, we want more jobs, that doesn't mean that everybody who's undocumented is evil and trying to take our jobs. And I've tried to explain to a lot of my customers, you know, hey, I'm from Los Angeles. It's a heavy Hispanic population, and I've never seen a harder worker in my life. And then I'll have my customer tell them, well, they're taking my job, they're taking this. And then sometimes at the end of a haircut, you know, we can come to common ground. Well, I understand where you're coming from. I guess if my family was in a position where we had to look out for our lives, we would probably, you know, jump the border too. And I realized that, a lot of people are so closed-minded just because they don't have an understanding of what else is out there, if that makes sense. It, it does. Bo, I like the idea that you're you're bursting the bubble one haircut at a time. So <laughs> absolutely <laughs> way to go. Jose, I, I wanted to I wanted to remind you, and I, I think we heard from a number of callers on this on the first night, where we talked about if you told who you voted for, people didn't need to know anything else about you. They immediately applied a bunch of assumptions and stereotypes to you. And that felt good to do that because you felt this kind of rush of moral superiority. Right, right. And 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 power, right? Like, you, right. You, I understand you better than you understand yourself. Right. right. And here's um, what you don't know. And here's what you don't know. Um, and, and I think that's it's kind of a power grab. It's a way of putting yourself above other people. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. This is a really human thing to do. In and out of the um, political realm? And, and Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing. In, in some ways, it's, it's at the root of prejudice, right? Um, you know, when I, when I say the word black man or Latina woman, right, do people conjure forth an image and have a set of characteristics, right? I can list all these characteristics about this person or that person. Um, and we've done the same thing with politics. In none of those cases does that turn out really well. In none of those cases does that really help anybody other than to give people, I think, that, that momentary sense of, of power and understanding. I know all about these people. I know how to deal with them. I know how to solve this problem. Uh, but it inevitably leads to conflict, right? Because they're going to be doing the same thing to you and whatever group you belong to. If you've just gotten in on Indivisible tonight, Jose Santos is my guest. You might remember him from the very first night. He's a professor of anthropology at Metro State University in St. Paul. And we are talking about at the end of Indivisible and at the first at the end of the first 100 days of the Trump administration, what we've learned from one another about each other. I'm not so interested in what you learned about Donald Trump. But, you know, there's lots of analysis on that. I want to know about what you learned about the people you didn't think you knew very well, the people in your community, in your neighborhood, 
Talk to me about that tonight. 844-745-8255. Find me on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use that hashtag Indivisible Radio to the phones to Gloria in Linden, New Jersey. Hey, Gloria. Hi. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I I don't know if I'm as positive as you and your guests are okay. about uh, what people were saying. Um, I find that we are still a country um, pretty much entrenched into who we are and what our little group is. Uh, I think it was wonderful to hear from people from all over the country. Um, I thought it was amazing that a lot of the men were calling in. It amazes me because it's it's great to hear what the men are thinking. Usually, you know, us women, we pretty, uh, we pretty much talk, say our mind. <laughs> And so it was interesting, but sad uh, because I don't know if you're preaching to the choir, first of all, Mm -hmm. uh, because I hear that, let's say, Republicans only hear Republican radio, Democrats only hear liberal radio. So who's listening to your program? Yeah, it would be interesting to know. That's a really good Um, question. I I will say this, that when we've asked for political affiliation, we have heard and, and Charlie Sykes has been doing Wednesday nights and. He's a conservative and he's been hearing from conservative people. But I understand your concern about preaching to the choir because, I mean, outside of politics, that's also an issue, right? That we, as you said, Jose, we stay in our own groups and we talk among ourselves. Yeah, the absolute echo chamber. Um, Gloria, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. I I like what you were saying about you liked that you got to hear men. Um, so the impression yeah. <laughs> I got is, is normally you don't get to hear men, right? Um, no, and, and that's no. the thing with, with a lot of masculinity. don't call in the, in the radio. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there's a lot of masculinities that are, that are like that. So in, in your experiences, then, what is it that, that you found out about men that you didn't know before? Um, that they, they uh, I, think, I think they all think, uh, you know, the people from Arkansas talk think like people from Arkansas, uh, the people from North Carolina think like people from North Carolina. And, and you know, um, I guess I think like a New Jerseyan in New York, uh, you know, with a step, one step here, one step in New York. Um, I just don't see myself reflected in a lot of the people, uh, the talks that people, in, the, in a lot of the things that people said. I said to myself, oh, wow, forget it. There is no way that they're going to understand a Latino for real. Um, I think we people just don't know. We don't know each other. And I think maybe what I learned from this radio show is that it's important to have platforms like your radio show. And it's important. Um, I think it was Sykes the other night that was saying how we should listen to other people, even if we don't agree with them. Maybe we, we, we can begin to, li- to understand. Right. Like if I don't ever listen to a Republican you know, how can I ever convivir? Um, uh, how can I ever live near someone that is uh, Republican if I, can, if I can't even listen to them? And the same with them. If they can't even listen to a Democrat or someone that is liberal. You know, I, I, I mean, the other thing that, that occurs to me in, in listening to Gloria here, Jose, is when she's talking about She's talking about political framing. Yeah. I'm thinking about geographical framing. Yeah. I noticed that when, when she, right. she spoke about, you know, the people from Arkansas think like they're from Arkansas and, and, and the people from Jersey think like they're from Jersey. And right. That makes perfect sense. Right? I mean, but but here's the thing. When you hear heard uh, this is what I was saying in the introduction. When you heard people coming at uh, their with their life experience 
uh, being willing to talk about that on a national radio show. It's a powerful thing to be sitting in some community way across the country and hear someone say, I'm afraid for my job, and here's why. And hear somebody else say, I know exactly how that feels. Yeah. And I'm 3,000 miles away yeah. from you. Yeah. I, I think it's a first step. I, I love the word that, that Gloria uses, the Spanish word convivir. Um, and there isn't quite an English single word like translation, but it, it, it means to, to, to live together, but also something symbiotic okay. as well. And, and I think she was pointing out that that's, that's a hard thing to do when you've got people who are so dissimilar, right? Um, and, and, you know, is it, is it so simple as finding a common ground, right, that we, we all agree on this or we all agree on that? Or is it that the things that separate us really are so grave that there is no coming together, right? I think of, of the discussions on race, right? That that is something that um, she pointed out, you know, are these people ever going to be able to understand what it is like to be a Latino woman, right? right. right? Um, but, but the goal isn't we all agree on this or that, right? And it's not just tolerance either. No, I, th- I think it's a mistake to think it's about tolerance, right? right? So it's um, to it's think it's about oh well, I want to be colorblind that, or I just want to tolerate everything. I think it's about being being able to strip the political discussion of the power of fear. That okay, may- maybe I am not like this person that's on the other side of the country, but politics doesn't get to use that against both of us. Politics doesn't get to use that to play us off each other. Um, that's, that's what I'd like to see. I don't know if that world can exist or not. Um, but I think the, the more we realize, um, that the divisions aren't quite what we think they are. And that again, you know, the, the person that's fighting on the other side of this issue, um, you know, they've got something sacred that they're protecting and I've got something sacred that I'm protecting. And I think in terms of a democracy, it's like, well, okay, now, now I realize we're both protecting what's sacred to us. We're going to fight to the death or we got to figure something out that works for everybody. And that we can both live with and that protects what is sacred to both of us. Gina Lynn uh, called from Nashville. She says, I've listened to Indivisible every night. I realized these political games are one thing, but everybody has a need. No one's really a Republican or a Democrat. And we're trying to get our politicians to answer these needs. I think that's true. To the phones to Melissa in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Melissa. Hi. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Sure. What are you thinking um, about? I just go ahead. Go ahead. Ask no, I'm asking you what you're thinking about. Go ahead. Well, I love your show. First of all, um, I really enjoy listening to it and getting a different perspective. Um, what I sh- would like to share is the change that has come about in me in the 100 days of the current administration. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the administration I wanted to see, and I've doing my part as far as protest and resisting against, you know, the policies and the executive orders and the proposed laws that are coming about. But I really worry about the people who are just becoming more and more disenfranchised. I I was so upset with how after the election, some people, some people became that maybe their true colors came out and maybe more racism was evident, more violent issues coming up here and there. And I feel like the change that's coming about in myself is I feel more protective now of anyone who is among the disenfranchised. When I see people who, uh, when I see Mexican-Americans, Hispanic people, um, I feel like I want to go out of my way now to to make up for the negativity that they're experiencing because it's not what I want them 
to feel. I just, I live a pretty privileged life and I can see what's happening. I see the fears. I was listening to a report how some people who are um, immigrants aren't reporting crimes because they're afraid they might get deported. Something like that just breaks my heart. So, you know, I can't change policy. I, I, I'm not a government official, but I can do what I can as far as being friendlier and being more welcome and going out of my way to, to make others who I think might be feeling disenfranchised more welcome or supporting them, I, sticking up for them I'm, and protecting I'm, them in any way I can. I'm really glad for the call, Melissa. And, you know, I hear in, in her voice, Jose, kind of a, this is all I can do. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's to in take fact, on. Um, the, the, I heard it screaming in my head because it's a question I ask myself constantly. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Um, because I think when we're faced with these big issues, we can feel so insignificant so completely insignificant. And I think that that sense of powerlessness is is a lot of where the fear comes from. And I think finding that that one thing that you can do can make such a huge difference, regardless of of where you're coming at it from, right? Um, It was was interesting to me to to see that, you know, she put in terms of protest and resistance, right? Right. Like, what what a great word, right? That that resistance, on the one hand, it can be something that you can think of as negative. It's like, ah, if there wasn't all this resistance, I could just get this thing done. But on the other hand, it's that, well, resistance is something that protects you against bad things. And and I think, I, I wish people would stop and articulate, what is it I'm resisting? Why am I fighting over this? Because um, I think we, we often jump into the fray and we jump into the argument um, impulsively, which is fine. Um, but I wish we understood better. Why am I so ready to do this? Um, and, and that'll tell you something about yourself. And then you can start to see that in, well, the other person's arguing against me. Why are they doing this? So let's talk about that first um, and then get around. I love it. that. Talk about the idealism that is propelling our resistance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who knows? That? There might be a commonality somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things I've found a uh, listening to the show is is people on all sides of the political spectrum. They feel like there's bullies out there, and they feel like somebody's picking on them, and they feel like somebody's taking from them. And the people on both sides of these debates feel that, and they're screaming it at each other. and And they're not starting with like, "Well, wait a minute, we, we're both feeling the same thing. Does that give us a space to figure this out or not?" Um, so far, <laughs> not really. Um, But I I would hope so. You're listening to Indivisible. It's the finale of Indivisible because we've been doing this for the first 100 days of the Trump administration. And here we are, I think, on day 98. Jose Santos is with us. He's a professor of anthropology at Metro State University. He was with us for our very first show. I asked him if he'd come back and hold this conversation with me about what we've learned about each other. And I want to hear from you on that, not about the politics, about one another, because that's the the core ethic of Indivisible. 844-745-8255 on Twitter, at Carrie NPR, hashtag Indivisible Radio. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash Indivisible. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. 
I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to Indivisible tonight from Minnesota Public Radio. I went back to look through some of the tweets that I got over the over the course of the show, and I pulled uh, Mara out here. For the first show, she tweeted, Woman, mom, wife, teacher, union leader, Catholic, pro-life, gun-owning hunter, voted for Hillary, hashtag Indivisible Radio. She blows up a lot of stereotypes, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I like that she felt the need to share it, right? Like that she felt the need to, it's like, <laughs> by right. the way, you know, maybe maybe you guys don't know me. That's right. <laughs> the way you think you do. Uh, um, to the phones to Jamel in Pennsylvania. Hey, Jamel, thanks so much for waiting. I know it's been a while. Good to have you on the line. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, first, I want to say thank you because I love listening to the show. Thank you. Um, basically, what I wanted to say is, I'm, what I've learned is it's nothing new to me because I am a sociologist by trade. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot about a lot of the information that's being shared. But the reality is it was very concerning as a man of color to sit here and watch our current president take the stage after the human side of me saw everything that he did and realizing that in our country how hard it had to be for President, former President Barack Obama to take office and how low of the bar it took for our current president to come into office and how we kind of sweep that under the rug. I know people are politicizing it, but the human side of it really makes me scared for the future. Jose, what do you hear in that? I, I, I hear the fear that a lot of people have. I, I hear fears that, that I had. Um, that that I do have right. Um, when, when you think about this this intruding on the sacred, right? The things that Trump has said um, that are incendiary about women, about race, about immigration, and all that, it's it's intruding into people's lives and it's intruding into people's sense of safety, right? It is singling out me, for example, because of my identity, right? That that I'm a Latino and I'm the child of immigrants, and that just makes me a little bit suspicious, right? Maybe I'm one of those rapist murderer types, right? Um, you know, regardless of whether I'm legal or not, just I get, you know, people are going to lump each other in there where we talked about, you know, people have these categories. And I think so what Jamel is saying is, is, wow. And this this kind of rhetoric is in the Oval Office now. It got you up there. It got it got people to, to vote for him. And that's that's scary to a lot of people. So I think, you know, it's back to that undercurrent of fear. Um, I think from from, you know, the political standpoint is him saying those things, him frightening some of us. And I think I said this the first night, him frightening some of us actually gets other people on board with him. Right. Uh, and and that's what I don't like about the political game. And, and I think it's about in some ways, how do, how do we those of us that are afraid and so many of us are in every direction? It's how do I deal with that fear and still have faith in my country? Right. Is, is that even possible? And uh, and I think that's where we're at right now. We're figuring out, can we can we do this? Can I can I live in this atmosphere of being afraid all the time um, and still feel like this is my home? Jordan says on Twitter, um, I've learned to trust and appreciate the slow grind of checks and balances. Regardless of politics, our courts are strong. Uh, and Maggie uh, tweets here, I find a great mix of views at my neighborhood pub. We argue, but we also laugh and hug. So grateful to hear different points of view. Uh, and then to the phones to, to Eric listening in New York City. Hey, Eric, thank you for waiting. Hello. How are you, Carrie? Hi. Uh, Doing well. Glad you called. Show. I think this is the first time I've ever caught this, and it might be the last, I guess. <laughs> but uh, um, I was actually sitting here listening to everything, and I and I, I almost don't know where to start. <laughs> um 
I guess, you know, I work in a very conservative type of environment. I was first in the police uh, service and then fire service after that. Mm-hmm. And I sort of have a liberal background, college educated. And I work with individuals now. Like I, I try to have constructive arguments, but it seems to be more about, you know, what they feel, what they, what they think uh, is the truth or, or what they feel is more important. And, and any information they get from outside is it, it confirms what they feel, wherever they're getting it from. Uh, you know, that's, that's what they believe. Um, even some individuals who, who really never read that much uh, in regard to, to politics or, or history, uh, listening to radio shows on AM and certain personalities and buying their books mm-hmm. and being uh, almost empowered by this information, uh, which, you know, either upsets them, usually upsets them, uh, but it, it sort of gives them this energy, this, this empowerment uh, and, and, and passion, which I think is great. I think, you know, people should have more passion. And I think that's part of the problem is a lot of people are so busy with their daily lives and not really paying attention to government laws, things are going on outside. Yeah, but um, Eric, and, let me say, let and, me just say this, because we have a lot of people waiting and, and you've said something important here that I don't want to miss. I think you're right about the confirmation bias, and we've certainly talked about that over the course of this show. But we also have said it's a powerful thing to hear somebody in some other place talk about their life and break apart some of those stereotypes and humanize some of those assumptions that that people are holding. And that's I, I'm thrilled you discovered Indivisible kind at late at all. You discovered it. But that's part of what we've been trying to do. And I think Jose and I are here tonight saying we hope that there's other places to do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what Eric is saying is something that that we're confronting all over the place is is, is that, um, you know, back to the echo chamber right. comment earlier that uh, and I think it was Gloria that was talking about that. Um, and I'm seeing it. In in the classroom, right? You know, I I teach a, I teach at a university here, and that there's some things that it's like, you know, I just feel this is true, so it must be. Uh huh. And it's like, how do, how do you speak to that? How do you speak to? That? I mean, showing you charts and graphs isn't going to change anything. It it really that doesn't work. Um, the thing that research seems to be saying is that actually sharing stories can get through. Right. Right. Something about telling speaking of yourself. And speaking of your experiences, seems to be able to change people's minds much better than a chart or a graph does, um, and that's 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 both frustrating, um, but also there, there's there's something kind of sweet about that. You know that there's this human element that'll overcome um, that human barrier, right? But I think. But what, when you're in your comfort zone and your bubble and conf- consuming a lot of stuff that confirms what you think you already know. Yeah, it's then, harder you're, to, then you're stuck because right. it's harder and harder because you start to believe things are fundamental truths. Right. And people don't like it when you mess with their fundamental truths. Call here from Vicki in Kansas. Hey, Vicki, hi. 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 I absolutely love this show. It's I'm been glad. very enlightening. Good. Uh, I'd say that probably one of the biggest things that I have seen out of not just the people that we've heard on the show, but overall as a, as a country is... I think it's actually brought a lot of people out from the shadows. I think, if nothing else, what's been happening has empowered people. I think, you know, what you guys have already kind of touched on already this evening, some of the people who even didn't even vote uh, now are starting to see a reason to stand up and say, hey, this is important to me. And and with all of the marches and, yes, 
uh, you know, you hear a lot of passion. Some of it is gone overboard and, and unfortunately in, in a negative way, either to violence or, or negative words. But I think it it's collectively brought people into more active engagement with their world and how they want it to be. You know, Vicki, I wonder um, if you've had the kind of experience that I've had, which is, and I was saying this before about bringing assumptions to things that I still catch myself. Here's the point, though. I catch myself, but I catch myself kind of musing about a lot of assumptions that I could make because somebody I hear somebody say, well, I voted for so and so and I'm this and I'm that. And I add about 10 things from my list to that. But here's the thing. I catch myself doing that. And maybe I have a greater awareness of that. And I, I wonder if you've had the same experience. I have. I have. I think it's it's made me back up and look at everything. Right. Yeah. I, it, everything kind of just it, it comes at you so loud and so obnoxiously and that it's kind of like I'm, I've got to find a different way to look at this, a different way to look at myself in the situation. And and I, I don't want to feel uh, so anxious and fearful. I don't want to be that way. We can't approach this in that way. Uh, and it's just, it's automatic. We all want to put, um, categorize everything. We want to automatically uh, make it sense, make it make sense in our head. Right. And so that, that happens a lot. We just automatically label this for that and label that for this. And, you know, and that's how we make sense of our world. But um, coming out and, and getting to know each other, having these types of discussions uh, is what we need to do to get beyond those assumptions. Really glad you heard the show and you had a chance to call. Jose? Yeah, Vicky kind of gets at something, you know, really basic that labels make sense of the world, right? That's right. So if you got some mislabeling Why going on, you've just made, you just messed up the world. I think it, it, it goes back to how well our brains work. And it's that we can go around and we really can group things very easily, right? So that we can group experiences and know, um, you know, when, when the sky looks a certain way, it's going to rain. Or, um, you know, when we hear a certain sound, that means an airplane is passing by. And when we see a guy that looks a certain way, he's probably going to rob me, right? And, and that's where the danger comes, when we start doing it to people in groups. Um, and that, that, that people play with those labels to achieve power, right? To achieve power and to get votes. Uh, and that's, that's what politics is about in some ways. So I think we need, we, just, if, we need to be more careful about it. You know, one of the shows that we did, and, and, and I'm not sure whether you caught this or not, was about the American dream and how mm-hmm. there was, right, there was a time when we had more of a shared ideal of what the American dream was. And and I asked one of our guests if he felt like we were in a time when achieving the American dream felt like it had to be a zero-sum game. Like, somebody's going to have to lose something if I'm going to get my piece of the American dream. Absolutely. You think we're there? I I. I th- Think, I mean, I think it's I remember that term zero sum game coming up in a few of the episodes that have been done here. And I think it, it is that belief that somebody else's gain is my loss. Right. Um, back. Uh, it was it was discussions about the rural and the urban, but also the cosmopolitan. Right. Right. Um, and and it was also the, uh, about elites when it came to the notion of elites. Right. That's right. Somebody else's gain is my loss. And I think that that part of what the labels do is is they make it easier to identify. There's one of them that's going to take from me. There is one of them that is taking from me and has already taken so much from me and is encroaching on me. 
right? Um, and I think that's 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 dangerous thinking. What I also remember about that episode is is just when we were when we were doing a show locally here about the Langston Hughes poem, right? And that it came up spontaneously. That what wonderful it means line, to be an American. What it means to be right. an American, um, and that you know I like those discussions. On the one hand, it can get so abstract and so idealistic, but on the other hand, I think it forces people to to kind of locate it in my life. It's like, well, you know, I make such and such money. I have such and such stuff. Have I achieved the American dream or not? Um, and it, that makes it much more concrete and that to see there's so many people that are frustrated with it. Um, and then the irony that you had, you know, the people that really still did believe in the, uh, at least the callers that day, that really did believe in the American dream uh, were immigrants. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> uh, how fascinating is that? Uh, call here from Michael in St. Louis. Hi, Michael. Thanks for waiting. How Hi. are you? Thanks for having me. Uh-huh. What are uh, you thinking about? So uh, I'm pretty sure you already kind of touched on this. But what I wanted to say was um, I think it's uh, a lot more than reaching out to other people. I think it's also about kind of self-awareness. I think it's more about self-awareness mm-hmm. and kind of knowing when in your head and knowing when to catch something in your head that's all right, I'm not thinking about this logically. I'm putting people into a box. Right on. I'm putting an issue into a box. Um, and I think that's really difficult. But in some ways, it's more, it's a little easier, at least, than talking to someone uh, when they're not exactly in the, in the best frame of mind who is opposite to you and just getting frustrated because you're both in your box and you're not getting anywhere and you're not understanding each other because you're, you haven't kind of adjusted your thinking. Well said. It, it absolutely yeah. does. Michael, have, have you learned how to catch yourself? So, I mean, you talk <laughs> yeah, about, you know, like self-awareness. Because, like, I don't know if I really have. Like, <laughs> I, I like to arrogantly think that maybe I have, but I'm not so sure. I've been working on that one for a long time. I can certainly catch it after I've blundered, right? <laughs> um, but to catch, you know, what, and I think what Michael's saying is, is like to catch yourself making the mistakes and, and putting people into categories and thinking that you know everything about them. And I've struggled with that my whole life. Um, and But he's right. I think being self-aware. And I think just getting to the point where realizing, I know as I'm entering this conversation, with this person, I got a feeling this is going to go nowhere, right? Once right. You, and I think there's little things that you can catch yourself or them doing. And it's like you realize I'm trying to to end this by outdoing them. Right. I'm trying to end this by saying something wittier or saying something that's just going to shut them down or put them in their place so well. That's when, you know, damn, you know, that's coming from me. That's on me now. Right. Right. As far as having a conversation. I mean, what you're really saying is and I think this is something that came up in the show with uh, Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota, who's a family therapist. And he was doing Mm -hmm. that Better Angels project and getting these getting voters uh, of different stripes into a room and really requiring that they would in they would listen in a uh, really focused and engaged way. And I know a lot of people think that's how they listen, but they don't because it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, everybody thinks of themselves as reasonable, right? <laughs> everybody uses exactly. themselves as the standard as reasonable. But, I, you know, I, I hate to say it. It sounds so trite, but just some basic communication skills. And we don't learn them. We don't learn them. And it's it's weird to me that that's something that's not taught, like just like basic in elementary school. How do you get through 
uh, a difficult conversation without it turning into an argument, right? Okay, Bobby and Sally, here you two have disagreed. And not avoiding it because avoiding it altogether. Oh, yeah. Because you don't know how this is going to go and it's fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and I think avoiding it is what a lot of people do. When, you know, when, uh, who was it that said before, Vicky was talking about bringing people out of the shadows in right. these conversations. Why were they in the shadows? Because they didn't know how to communicate about this. They were too scared. They thought, well, you just don't talk about these things or I, I can't say anything or something like that. And really just having the basic tools to be able to say, you know, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. Help me understand because where, where I'm coming from, it's actually a little scary what you're saying. And just being able to say that I've found can, can make a huge difference. Um, but but, you, but what you're really saying is admitting vulnerability. And yeah. That's not an yeah, easy that's thing not to easy, do. Right? We're, right? we're much more willing to look like the strong guy. I'm really grateful you were here for the. We've come full circle, and you were here for the conversation, Jose. I'm Thank so grateful you so I was much. here. Thank you so much. I want to continue hearing from you on Twitter. As we said, tonight is the last night of Indivisible. We want to thank our production partners at WNYC in New York. Hey, all praise to you guys because you had the idea for the show. And we've just heard from a lot of people who have said it's been meaningful to them and the public radio stations that took a leap with us and chose to bring this conversation to their listeners. Thank you for that. The Thursday night production team here in St. Paul included Tiffany Hansen, Marquita Fornoff, Elizabeth Shockman, and Jeff Jones. Our technical directors were Eric Stromstad, Corey Schreppel, Veronica Rodriguez, and Johnny Vince Evans. Yeah, it takes a lot of people to get this show on the air. You can find all the shows from the last 100 days at IndivisibleRadio.com. I host a show on Minnesota Public Radio every weekday at 9 a.m. Central. And if you want to find out what I'm talking about day to day... Just search NPR News with Carrie Miller wherever you get your podcasts or you can stream it from nprnews.org. On behalf of everyone here at Indivisible, we want to thank you for listening and for joining our nationwide conversation about America in a time of change. I know it takes a little courage to dial that number and talk to people, and we wouldn't have had the show without your willingness to do that. So thank you very much for participating in Indivisible. Support for Indivisible is provided in part by Emerson Collective, the Ford Foundation, and the Jacob and Valeria Langloth Foundation. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.